Hi there and welcome to Her Faith Thrives. I am your host Mindy Pradia and I can't wait to connect with you. I want to equip you to discern, apply and pray biblical truth so that you can take the next step toward thriving in your Christian faith. Whether you're feeling stuck or just desiring to go deeper, prayer is the power behind a thriving faith. We need to pray in the context of our everyday moments, guided by biblical principles and ready to take action. You can stop feeling stuck and start thriving in your faith when you pray authentic and truth-filled prayers. I will present biblical truth and a practical suggestion to broaden your perspective and help you take the next step in your Christian faith. This is episode 5. Let's get started. failure, the replaying of a conversation or a series of actions you wish you could take back. Guilt is a part of life in a broken world, but more often than not, the right kind of guilt is a form of grace. Whether it is the direct result of sin we have committed or the result of experiencing brokenness in the world, we have all been burdened or even disillusioned by different kinds of guilt. Unresolved or wrongly resolved feelings of guilt can be a real burden on the Christian life. In this cultural moment, we are training ourselves to reject all guilt without evaluating it, and we are learning to get rid of guilt by placating it, not addressing real issues with truth. This means we never break out of the cycle and experience true freedom. When the things we use to placate our guilt stop making sense, we find another faulty solution. And on and on we go. But friends, there is a better way. A way to find freedom and truly live victoriously over every form of guilt. We celebrated Easter last week and it was such a timely reminder of the God who has overcome sin and brokenness and yes, even the power guilt has over us. In preparation for the Easter celebration, I spent the Lent season reading through the book of Ezekiel and then the week of Easter just walking through the account of Jesus' last days on earth. The time in Ezekiel was heavy and hopeful. This book shows you just how sinful our hearts really are and has the most heart-wrenching and graphic descriptions of sin. It is sobering to see how God described his chosen people, the Israelites. It dispels any notion that any of us is good by our own effort and is a needed reminder that as Christians, we are the products of immense grace. 
this book can seem a bit daunting. So if any of you are looking for resources as you read through, I would highly recommend the Shirid's Truth Lent Plan, even if you don't read it during Lent. This plan is laid out well to help you see the connections between Ezekiel's prophecies and their ultimate fulfillment in Christ, as well as just give you a test of the breadth of God's unchanging character. I will put a link to this in the show notes. I want to read some verses for you from Ezekiel 20. In this chapter, Israel's behavior is summarized by God. Listen to the contrast between God's faithfulness and holiness and the Israelites' unfaithfulness and sinfulness. Ezekiel 20 verse 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I say to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes fist on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes fisted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. I just want to point out that the Israelites were idolatrous from the beginning. So many times I think of Israel's idolatry starting at the golden calf incident. But it was being practiced before that. At this point, God has been patient with Israel. He has given them his laws. He has shown them great mercy and even blessed them. He has sent people to warn them to turn from their evil ways, but they didn't listen. And so they're experiencing his judgment. This is part of what makes Ezekiel such a heavy read. However, even in the midst of God's judgment, he promises to rescue them again and bless them again. In verse 44 of the same chapter, he says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. God promises to restore Israel, but not because they deserved it, but because of his name, his character, as one who does execute justice, doesn't change, but he takes on the punishment of our sin upon himself so that those who are in him can be free of sin's power. And in this verse and many others throughout the book, you see how the Israelites' only hope was Christ, and that is true for us as well. As I was thinking about how this applies to my life now, I realized how easy it is to approach God thinking more highly of myself than I ought. God saves us by his own choosing. Romans 5.8 says, God does what is necessary to save us from sin while we are still sinners, still caught up in it, still dead, still have no inclination towards God. And that is when he saves us. 
There is so much to rest in with this truth. Our actions matter, but somehow in the divine economy, his actions dictate our position, such that for a child of God, sin that has been repented of is not accounted to us, and our greatest and most certain hope is even the brokenness that we experience on earth will be fully redeemed in heaven. In our journey on earth as believers, we struggle an interesting reality where our sins are paid for, but the realization of power over sin is a gradual process called sanctification. This means we have daily reminders that without a new heart, we are completely incapable of living life on God's terms. We are also aware that Christ died so that we could operate out of new hearts, but we are growing in that practice daily and it will finally be complete when he comes back for us. We started this episode talking about guilt because sin and guilt wear us down and keep us from the abundance that Christ has for us. We want to be women who thrive in our faith no matter the season, but guilt deals a major blow to our fruitfulness. And if we don't deal with it biblically, we remain stuck. Before we knew Christ, we were powerless to overcome sin. But as Christian women, our approach to sin and guilt can change. We can take an honest look at how horrifying sin and brokenness really is and still grow in confidence of Christ's finished work on the cross. When we are struggling with guilt, the world has plenty of solutions which sound good in the moment and provide temporary relief, but the only lasting solutions are found in Christ. So what does dealing with sin and guilt biblically look like? It starts with cultivating a lifestyle of repentance. This is not a popular stance because our first instinct is to believe that any guilt we feel is not our fault and to follow that line of thinking to find peace. But friends, can I challenge that way of thinking for just a few minutes? There is a difference between true and false guilt, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and we need to be discerning. However, to sharpen our discernment, we need to saturate ourselves in God's word, not in worldly philosophy. God Questions has a good summary of how the Bible describes godly sorrow, which also has some helpful scripture references. I will put a link to this resource in the show notes as well. As we start to wrap up here, I want to give you three foundational steps in cultivating a lifestyle of repentance. First, as you read God's word, pay attention to what God says needs to change in your life. When he brings something to mind, ask him for forgiveness and then ask for discernment on what needs to be done to act in line with his truth. Repentance always involves turning away from something toward God. And both are intensely practical. Second, at the end of your quiet time, ask God in prayer, if there is anything else you need to repent of. Sometimes your sin is not directly addressed in your specific quiet time reading, or maybe you ignored it until this point. The Holy Spirit is so faithful to gently bring to mind anything that you are doing or believing that is displeasing to God and to guide us into truth. Third, when you feel guilt, evaluate it biblically. Friends, the world will tell you, you are the most important. And if you feel guilty about something that seems to be pleasurable to you, then ignore the guilt, relabel it, or get rid of the people who are making you feel guilty. 
God has a standard that he has clearly outlined in the Bible. If what you're feeling guilty about is something that God's word says is wrong, then you need to change. But there is so much hope in this posture. Because as a Christian, you have the power that raised Christ from the dead available to you for that change. As we close, I want to read David's prayer in Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. As we reflect on the great lengths that Christ went to so that we would be free from the bondage of sin and brokenness, let us not take that sacrifice for granted by minimizing sin in the world and in our own lives. Instead, let us revel in the great love that he has shown us by being quick to repent of sin and quick to let him create a clean heart in us. As you discipline yourself not to rely on your own good effort, choose the way of repentance, putting your complete confidence in God's goodness and the righteousness he has accomplished for you. Don't buy into the world's warped narrative of sin and guilt. Cultivate repentance as a lifestyle. There is so much freedom and abundant life in this practice. And you will find that the crushing weight of guilt has completely been shouldered by your powerful Savior. Thanks for joining me for the Her Faith Thrives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider leaving a rating and review in your podcast app? This helps more women just like you find this podcast and know whether the podcast would be a good fit for them. Just go to the show in your podcast app, scroll down until you see ratings and review, and then tap to rate and write a review. It really makes a difference when you take a couple of minutes to do this. So I want to thank everyone who has already rated this podcast. Until next time, choose growth in your everyday moments by engaging with truth and praying authentic, truth-filled prayers. Remember, you can be a woman who thrives in every season.